I'm Jess. And I'm George. I'm Michaela. And this is Transpantastic. A podcast about gender, identity, orientation, and all the life that happens around it. Between it, under yeah, it. Just decided. We've given up. It's around today. <laughs> it's around today. If we're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we play with prepositions and we can never quite determine where the life is. <laughs> it does work. So today we do have with us the amazing Michaela from Web of Queer. Yay. And all sorts of other wonderful things, I'm sure. Yeah, mostly Web of Queer. Mostly Web of Queer. And we are at Gallifrey One. Yay! Yay. (laughs) So, the reason we wanted to have a sit-down chat with you is because you represent some points of view that we haven't had a chance to share with our listeners. Okay. And we would love to hear your take on being, and correct me if I am not up to date, you are a non-binary identity and aero-ace orientation. Yes. Okay. So let's start with the second half of that. We see a lot of allosexual representation in the queer community, people who are attracted to other people. Yes. What what would you like to see in the queer community in terms of representation, acceptance for the ace community, the arrow community? What does that mean to you? Stop harassing us. I don't know. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> like It's a big topic because right is. now... Stop racing and stop trying to drive us out is a big thing. It is. Like, unfortunately, I spent my entire Pride Month last year getting hate from allo queer people, so... That's frustrating. Yeah. Terrible. There's a lot of, you're not queer enough, you don't count, you're not oppressed enough, you're just straight people trying to get infiltrate the community. That's frustrating, and I understand how that feels because as a non-binary person, I also get you're not queer enough. As a pansexual, you're not queer enough. You're not gay enough. You're not trans enough. Yeah, and if you look at the arguments, quite often you can replace ace or arrow with bi, pan, or trans and see the exact same arguments that are usually... There's very little that is new. It is all recycled with new targets. It very much is. And that doesn't surprise me because, I mean, no matter what the marginalized community is, and you see this, like, post-reconstruction in the South, that other marginalized communities will still look for more marginalized communities to feel better than. Yeah, definitely. And... You know, it doesn't matter what the social justice movement is, there will still be some small group that feels like we got ours, but we need to hold on to it by keeping somebody else out of it. Yes. And, and that's why the accusations of infiltration exist. We're, we're stealing their space. We're stealing their resources. I don't know. Did you point out to them unsuccessfully? They don't care. Okay. <laughs> just, just saying. <laughs> to, to steal something, I would need to actually obtain it. Yes. Yeah. And, and, like, we're queer. We count. We we should be in these spaces and have these resources. You Absolutely. are. Yes. And, I mean, you get killed off in media just as often as we do. Come on. Yeah. There's far fewer of us. And they all die. Uh, Someone, a friend of mine, she did a run-through of Ace and Arrow characters in several, like, very prominently talked about both the Hugo Award. There's two stories nominated for the Hugo Award last year that had Ace characters in it. One was Every Heart a Doorway, where there's going to be spoilers. The character was sent to the world of the dead at the end, exiled off to the world of the dead. And she wanted that because, you know. Mm-hmm. 
And in the other one, which is uh, You'll Surely Drown Here If You Stay, the Ace character was killed and sent his love interest off to have a better life away from him as an undead person. Yeah. And the the reason she's just saying yeah is because we're just sitting here agape, <laughs> like, oh, you yes. know what? Yeah, but, like, these are the Hugo nominated stories, and no one seems to notice that the only stories that are getting noticed with Ace and Arrow characters on them are the ones where we end up evil, exiled, or dead. Or all three, if you want to go for um, Clario, which is another one that comes up a lot. We That just seems really frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> And so it seems to me like there's not really any good reason for the rest of the queer family to treat you like the redheaded stepchild. I've seen, like, there's a lot of denying of history, I think, or lack of learning of history, which is assuming that because the words asexuality, aberrancism only appeared in the last, like, since the early 2000s, that it's a new thing that wasn't there before. But there's people who have done the history and basically established, like, especially, like, ace people and uh, biromantic ace people were counted under the bisexual umbrella before that. Mm-hmm. Because it was equal attraction to nobody. Yes. So it just fell I'm into, not hetero, so I just get lumped in with the other non- Yeah. Monos. Yeah, so like that there's there's history of ace people being in the community. Not that we should have to defend our like existence, but like there is the history there and people ignore it because it's easier to be like, well yeah, you're just the special special snowflake tumbler people. Oh my god, don't no, I hate that. <laughs> I teach middle school and so ever so often you get these kids who are like they'll pick up on these quasi memes of special snowflake or understanding that you oughtn't assume anything about anyone but they'll say it in like meme speak or they'll say it you know as a cultural touchstone and not as an actual self-expression and so the the word snowflake every time I hear it I'm like yeah you know what snowflakes do they make blizzards yeah and the kids are looking at me like oh oh get a little brain splody I love when kids get brain splody Mm -hmm. but that's just me (laughs) Oh, I break undergrads' brains. It's fun. Oh, do tell. We're a storytelling podcast. Okay. Tell us a story. Um, so I'm currently a grad student doing my master's in aerospace engineering, which means I am teaching second year dynamics, which is for mechanical engineering students what generally one of the harder courses they take. Right. Which means I'm doing math that they haven't seen. Well, it's hard for them to get their head wrapped around how things move. Because this is all entire course about how things move. And it's harder than you expect. And they're like, oh, well, they obviously move like this. And it's like, no, it's way more complicated like that. You're looking at the straight line. And actually, it's we're rotating about a point that's so far in the distance. And they... Mm-hmm. It, it breaks them and it's fun. That's great. <laughs> Yay! I like them. <laughs> See, I get broken by my own math I'm doing, so I'm doing four-dimensional representation of three-dimensional space and that breaks me, so it's all fair. Fair enough. How has Galley been for you then as a 
less represented member of the queer community. Good and bad. I, the, I moderated the queer panel that we had on Friday, which is one I pitched. Pitched it last year and got rejected because we'd already done queerness. Oh, yes, because we've, we've already done it. That we, <laughs> yeah, we, we had yeah. only needs the once. <laughs> yeah. But this year I added the word Bill to the panel description and pitched it again, and it got accepted. What do you know? Yeah. I changed nothing. I just added Bill and said, here's a panel. Yes. Hey, whatever trick works. Yep. Yep. And um, that went amazing. I'd never moderated a panel before, so I was quite nervous. And it's my understanding that a lot of the moderators didn't know that they were moderating until the program books were distributed. Yeah, I found out at 8 p.m. on Thursday that I was moderating at noon on Friday. Whee! Yeah. Galley could fix that. There are a handful of things that Galley could fix, but it's a large, slow-moving... Oh, yeah. I get it. It I've seen a lot of people who moderated this week, and they're like, I really could have used more time. Yeah, really. Uh, but no, it went super well. I had a list of questions that I desperately come up with to keep the conversation going if I needed to. I basically said, hey, what do we think about Bill? And the conversation went and I never had to go back to my questions. Uh, the audience was great. My panelists were great. It was That's an wonderful. excellent conversation. I got my soapboxes in about like the doctor's not ace representation and yes. <laughs> orientation and behavior are not the same thing. So that made me happy that I got those in. And I had a, several people come up after the panel to be like, I'm Arrow Ace, and I've never seen an Arrow Ace person on any panel ever. So that was nice to be, like, people telling me that they saw themselves for the first time in something like this. Well, isn't that why you had originally gotten into being part of the presenting Fanish community? Was because you wanted to see, you know, when you saw this web of queer thing coming up, and you're like, I never see myself. I need to be the representation I wish I could see. Yeah, I didn't want to be a podcaster. I don't actually like talking to microphones. I really didn't want to know we had any listeners. I still believe we don't have any listeners. No listeners. Hey friends, you need to know that Michaela keeps turning their face (laughs) slightly to the side as though they are not actually talking to the camera. And they have been doing this for the past 15 minutes, even though we've only been recording for 12. I can't see the recording. It's not happening. I hide it behind another window when I'm recording for myself. I don't... I keep a little bit so I can make sure, but it's not live. It's... The live feed is hiding behind the Skype window, so I can't can't see it. That's if great. I can see right. myself talking, I stop. No. We have that in common. I, I don't like talking to the microphone either. Yeah. Jess often feels like they're dragging me to the microphone. Once yeah. once we get going, you enjoy having the conversation. Yes. Oh, yeah. If I have the conversation, I just don't want to know if people are listening to it. <laughs> so, I, but I saw this call go out because it was like three and a half years ago, and people have been talking about how there was no real queer Doctor Who podcast and how this was like a gap because there's Doctor Who podcasts about every random thing you can possibly think of well yes and some that you wouldn't think of (laughs) many you wouldn't think of and none were doing like explicitly focusing on queerness there's plenty of queer Doctor Who podcasters but no queer Doctor Who podcast so Paul Cornell basically put a tweet out saying that if such a thing existed he'd promote it Mm mm-hmm and then the Nine Worlds Convention, which is a convention that happens in London in August, mm-hmm. said, hey, if people want to get connected, send an email to this email address and we'll, like, connect you all. Right. So about 15 people sent emails in. Mm-hmm. And then only five of us ever actually spoke up in the email thread. And right. And that became the Web of Queer. That is wonderful. Which works out remarkably, considering we are completely random, we cover, like... 
We've got an older gay man from Northern Ireland. Very conservative old guy who <laughs> happens to be gay. Yes. <laughs> He tries. He does. You no, know, he's learning. Like, he he was never exposed to the stuff right. I was exposed to because in Northern Ireland, it's already, like, being gay is barely accepted if it is accepted. Right, so right. going past that is not even not even known, even within their, like, queer community. So mm-hmm. he's learning and he asks questions and he's doing his best. Yes. And then we have another another gay man fr- from uh, England. Mm-hmm. And then we have a trans man who is pansexual from England and then a bisexual woman from the US. And then me, who at the time the podcast started, was identifying as Arrow Ace and a cis woman from Canada. And then, well, that changed. Would you be open to talking about how that change happened for you and how that understanding worked itself out for you or how you're working through that. Sure. Um, so it's kind of the podcast's fault. Um, <laughs> I, they do that. Yeah, they do that. Um, so I never really heard of non-binary before I started the podcast because I also grew up in a conservative small town environment and like drastically opened my borders once I got to university. Like I didn't know error or race was a thing until I got to university because I had access to dial up internet from a family computer in the middle of the living room. So that wasn't being looked at. Right. So, but I hadn't encountered it until Josh, who's the trans man on our podcast, had mentioned it. And it was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, And then didn't think about it anymore. And then had a slow-moving identity crisis over three years that I kept trying to ignore and occasionally freaking out at Josh and then, like, pretending it wasn't happening. And then it decided it didn't want to not happen anymore. We can identify (laughs) with the slow-moving identity crisis. How long did it take you to transition? Uh, A long time. Decades. Decades, yes. Uh Uh So, fair enough. Continue. And also, like... A hotel room in Utah is a really bad time to have an identity crisis, which I definitely did one time. And I was like, nope, nope, I cannot do this. Aww. Yeah, that would seem like a not-so-great place yeah, to do that. because mm-hmm. I was... I was working, I was commissioning chemical plants because I used to work as an automation engineer and I was by myself in this hotel room for U- in Utah for like three weeks at a time. Aww. Like too much time. Like I was working 12-hour days and then just being in the hotel. So Aww. I was like, nope, nope, can't do this now. Not allowed. Yep. What really like me started I guess the like okay I need to confront this is just before the new Doctor Who season we decided to all introduce ourselves on the podcast Mm -hmm. because we've been going for a while and we were like okay we haven't actually explicitly stated all our identities basically since the beginning right so we'll do another like hey this is us so that anyone who's dropped on on the way who has been trying to put things together gets a clear like these yeah. are the identities we're representing. Especially mm-hmm. sometimes we'll throw stuff in, especially when we're reviewing that we're not saying, as an asexual person, I feel. It just right. happens. So it's nice to, like, if we pick up new new listeners for the series, they have a cheat sheet for what's going on. Right. So I identified, I introduced myself as, hi, I'm an aromantic asexual cis woman. And that cis woman thing felt really bad. I've heard a lot of people call that the record skip moment, where you hear something come out of your own mouth and it feels like a record is skipping in your brain, like, that's the wrong thing. Yeah. Thankfully, over the past three years, I have 
been more active on Twitter. I was very much not, you wouldn't believe it for my Twitter now, but I was very much not active on Twitter when the podcast started. I'd occasionally scroll, I occasionally post, but not, nothing like by what I do now. But I upped it with the podcast and was more active with activism, which meant I made more friends to her era and ace. And there's a lot of people who overlap, so I made a bunch of non-binary friends. So I had people who were arrow and ace and non-binary to panic at. Oh, that's wonderful. So I, I mean, not wonderful to panic at people, but wonderful to have that community and support. Yeah, so I was like, uh... I don't know what I'm doing, but here's all my feelings. And they dealt with me having feelings at them for a while. And then I kind of came out. Like, I switched my pronouns within that group. And then it sat there for a while. And then I told a couple people on my podcast and just slowly built that group out. And then I came out on Twitter. And then, like, six months later, I came out on the podcast because our recording schedule has been so weird. Right, right. We have a harder time producing than recording because of we're very careful about what we put out because mm-hmm. of the content we're covering. So sometimes there's quite a delay in, or we are like we just need to push this episode. And right, it was just it never came up. It never happened. I was like, I kind of need to come out on the podcast because not everyone follows me on Twitter. Right. So I I was like, there's no good time to do this. So I just dumped in a little. Um. By the way. Need to update things. Yes. And I attached that to the Christmas special review because I figured people would probably actually listen to that. Yes. I, I remember hearing that and thinking, oh, oh, good for them. <laughs> yeah. And then the next episode we put out was recorded like six months ago and had she, her pronouns for me because we were expecting to put it out before. Right. So I had to record I've that. heard those little disclaimers yeah. on the past few. Yeah. I can say, this, they're not misgendering me. This was not supposed to go out in this order. Right. Fair. As a non-binary pansexual person for whom, you know, I liken gender uh, in, I've, I've used the analogy that gender is written in basic and my brain is written in Ruby. They're not even the same (laughs) operating system, let alone similar languages. You know, my lack of identification or tangential identification with gender for myself and the tangential nature of gender's effect on my attractions are pretty clearly related. But then there are some people for whom it's not. And then for you, how does that how does that play out in your world? Or have you really sussed that out for yourself yet? Oh, part of the reason I was panicking people is I can't put things in boxes. I can't figure out what part is the gender part and what part is the identity part. And it feels all confused that I like things in boxes. Um, <laughs> I like to stick the, labels the, on things. The engineer likes things neat and tidy and labeled and organized? Yeah. No. <sighs> I'd have never guessed. Me neither. (laughs) No clues. So it's all kind of a weird jumble that doesn't make any sense. But I guess, like, for me, I don't experience any attraction, which is not true of all Arrow-based people. There's all different kinds of attraction, but I don't experience any of them. As far as I'm concerned, attraction is something I'm taking on faith, that it truly exists. Because I doubt that many people are telling me lies. (laughs) Fair. But it's not something that makes sense to me, so it's just not something I can really conceptualize, if that makes sense. I think that's a great way to explain it. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. 
right. Like um, there's an, a nice Nin quote that I often reference uh, that we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Mm. And so to be able to get out of your own headspace, you do have to take it on faith. Yeah. That this is the way world the world is for you. Which I think, for me, makes it so frustrating that people aren't willing to take your statement of identity and orientation on faith. That that really is the way the world is for you. Yeah. But, like, attraction doesn't exist for you. How does gender exist for you, or does it? Like, is there gender? Is there tangential? Is there both? Is there neither? Is there something else? We're still working on it. It's a weird blob. It's a blob. (laughs) I've heard a lot of people identify themselves as blob. (laughs) Or squiggle. Squiggle's a common one. Squiggle's a good word. No, I I don't know. I know cis woman feels wrong. I don't know what feels right. That's fair. I think that's a step that a lot of people take in their exploration of their identity while they're still figuring all of it out. Yeah. And, like, I'm not convinced that they, them is right, but it is less wrong than everything else. Very good. It's cl- closer to the truth that you can find right now. Yeah. So maybe that will change. Maybe it won't. I don't know. It's allowed to change. And that's another thing that I think people get policey about. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's not so much that it's changed. It's that you are able to define it and then have a definition that other people can understand as well. You know, you have your own first have to find your way to understand it. Like... To me, it makes sense that there are, I I don't have to take it on faith that some people are not attracted to other people, you know, as you would see on any probably TV channel you turn on right now. Hmm. You would see these storylines of attraction and, you know, romance and such, and it doesn't seem odd to me at all. It just seems, of course, there are people who don't find themselves in that world, but uh, I can understand that. Lots of folks can't understand the definition, even once you find one that you can explain to yourself and then maybe can explain to them, they still don't want to accept it. And one thing I think I've found, like, a thing I've noticed is, like, people my age are more comfortable in general. These are big generalizations. Oh, yes, absolutely. With trying things on, switching, like, it's okay to try something on and then put it away if it doesn't work. Whereas I find people 10 years older than me, like, I'm late 20s. Yes. um, Are much more, you must figure everything out before you announce something. In my experience. There's a sense in the community, especially with non-monosexual and non-binary gender, that a lot of people grew up being traumatized by being told that it was a phase. Mm. And so if you do try on something, and if it is a phase for you to try this on and then say, this one doesn't fit, let's try something else. And if you go through multiple phases until you figure out what's right, or if your identity is like some of our friends are fluid, and if it does go through phases of this day, I feel more like this, or that day, I feel more like that then there's this sense that you're building right back into those same, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, hurtful stereotypes. stereotypes. Yes. That, that, you know, Oh, you're, you're giving people ammunition to say that it's a phase. Yeah. And so I think that one thing I've heard recently about that is that the moon has phases, but it doesn't change who it is. It just changes how it expresses itself or how we see it, but it's still a moon. Yeah. That's a good I like that. good. I like that, yeah. Yeah. And, like, I think there's also a U.S.-Canada thing happening here, because, like, equal marriage was passed in Ontario when I was 11. Mm -hmm. So I learned about marriage equality in the sense of me going, why do people care, when it was being legalized. Right. Like, I, I didn't see the fight, 
because I didn't know it was happening because mm-hmm. I was a kid. Right. right. So there's definite, like, I'm the generation that grew up with it being a thing. Yeah. Like, and it was legalized across the country, like, a year or two later. Right. So that's a that's a generation gap that there is, is going to take longer to see in the States. Right, right. And I see it in my students now, my middle school students, that they're they're all very cool with whoever is whatever is awesome. And, you know, I had a kid the other day who were in the middle of a lesson on rational equations, polynomial over polynomial and how to graph them. And he's like, I think I think I'm gay, but maybe only kind of. <laughs> and somebody else says, that's bi, dude. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Sort of like, the, uh, like I'm over here sometimes and I'm over there sometimes, like, like your graph. And I'm like... These are my kids. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, so it is a generational thing. And there is also a locality thing. Oh, definitely. Where I grew up was not that. Um, I mean, it's probably very liberal compared to conservative U.S. standards. Possibly, yes. Most likely. Most things for, are. <laughs> for Canadian standards, I grew up in a fairly conservative place. Right. Because small town. And it, I left. Yes. And understandably so. Mm-hmm. And going to university was far away was a good idea because I for a was ex- lot of queer kids it is yeah not that my like my parents my parents weren't from there and they left after we were all grown up but so my parents are generally more liberal than the surrounding area but it's still it's what you're exposed to it's the kids you're going to school with mm-hmm. so that didn't help with figuring things out before university and then mm-hmm. I got to university and my friend from Toronto is like have you heard of this uh-huh. No, I think you might be asexual. You should go look that up. Huh. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I was just thinking, um, so we're, we're talking about processes and, and getting to the point we're at now. And what are some of the things you, you think might be ahead, whether they're, you know, in this category of self-discovery or, as you said, you know, as uh, in your career and, and so forth or other projects coming up? What is your future? What is my future? That is a scary question for someone who's a year left of grad school. I don't know. I, the podcast is still going, so that'll keep going. Um, watch more Classic Who. I'll get there eventually. We're making progress. You are. I'm still doing that. I do a project of reviewing old science fiction stories, which gets me a lot of hate on the internet. Because oh. people do not like you to criticize the classic science fiction stories. Oh my. And say, hey, these could really use some actual characters, and maybe some women might be, like, an improvement. Oh. It's it's hard, because, you know, what what feels good... Like, I mean, not what feels, but what feels like good content now and what was probably progressive then are two very different things. And so it's hard to analyze things like that. So I have to look into what you've been up to because I haven't seen any of that. Yeah. The point of the project is that someone was arguing that like the only proper way to introduce young people to science fiction is golden age science fiction, which is defined as when he was 12. So... <laughs> so a friend of mine who's like it also in his 50s decided to test this. So he got a bunch of 20 somethings who either like I'd read science fiction before some weren't science fiction readers. He got 20 somethings cuz he felt 50-year-old men looks for teens wouldn't go over that well for a Probably you know. Yeah. It's like <laughs> doesn't want thinking. to be the creepy old man. Yeah. 
So no. <laughs> yeah. So he got twenty somethings, which wasn't quite the target audience of the original complaint, but was as close as he was getting. Right. And every other week we read an old science fiction story from like early days up until I think he said nineteen eighty was his cutoff. Mm-hmm. And we write short reviews about the story and what we thought of it. And I generally go, yeah, no, because <laughs> I'm I am applying modern standards. I'm like, if the point yeah. of this project is getting young people into science fiction, then I am apply. I'm not taking the stories as they were written, I'm taking these stories as they are now. Exactly. Which and at is that often point, quite yes, lacking. Definitely. And in that vein, I would say yes, absolutely modern standards is where you need to yeah. strike that balance. And like they aren't intended to be reviews so much as reactions, because that's what the mandate of the project is. Right. So we've been doing that for a couple years now. Very fun. And yeah, it's going well. Um, I need to figure out if I'm doing more grad school or getting a real job in sometime <laughs> in the next year. So, defend the thesis. You'll get there. Yep. What's it on, can I ask? Yeah, I'm doing motion algorithms for flight simulators. Fun. To make them feel more realistic for a larger range of motion. Nice. Now, is that motion like gimbal set in the seat, or is that like motion for the graphics, or what motion specifically? I'm doing the physical motion. So I pilot in a seat in an enclosed space, try to use motion tricks to make them think that they're experiencing a wider range of motion than you can actually produce. Moving the seat, moving the cabin, etc. Yes. Ah, got it. So doing all the math that decides what's going to happen. Nice. Right. It's weird math. Yes. Yeah, I've you... seen a lot because I like peripherally involved in book Twitter. Mm-hmm. I didn't really ever set out to be involved in book Twitter, but I somehow ended up there. And like a lot of thing I see is people who are very like pro diversity, pro activism, whatever. As soon as it becomes Ace or Arrow stuff, they vanish or think we're we deserve what we get. That's really frustrating. Yeah, I literally like there was a writing workshop that was specifically about. Um, writing other people's experiences. Uh, that happened. This was happening a couple of years ago, and like, mm-hmm. so the person that was running it put out a tweet about a workshop they were they were running about bisexuality, mm-hmm. and they're like, whether you're straight, you're a straight writer, a gay writer, or a bisexual writer, you should take this workshop because, like, if you're straight or gay, you don't understand all the things you could get wrong with writing bisexuality, and mm-hmm. if you're bi. You still can have all the internalized stuff. Yeah. So I quote tweeted and said, and if you're ace, you don't exist. (laughs) Because, like, this is supposed to be about writing other... Yeah. And and just completely... Like, it's the... The The, the the irony. constant low-level erasure that Mm -hmm. each little one thing seems so small until you realize it's every single day. Yeah. And I got back this reply about how... Well, because ace people are are marginalized, like we don't need it because we wouldn't perpetuate it. I'm like, you're saying that bi people would perpetuate it, but not ace people. Like we're not magic. <laughs> we're not. We are not perfect just because we're ace, and no. it's just trying to cover the yeah, erasure. No. And then that same person started subtweeting me because I've been I've been tweeting about another issue unrelated to that because there's always something happening oh, when yes. it comes to ace or arrow erasure harassment. You name it. And they basically, this person tweeted that, like, if you're attacking me for no reason, why do you think no one comes to help your community? Mm. And just 
That's not how we do this, folks. Yeah. Like, That's not how we do this. Yeah. <sighs> and just, it's all little stories like that. I could run through ten equivalent stories of stuff like that, where it's small, but it's constant. It is. You can go through the whole how Arrowace Jughead or Bust was received, mm-hmm. which was a hashtag that was put I remember when, that, yeah, with... Because uh, Riverdale, Riverdale decided to straight wash Jughead. Because he's canonically Arrowace and Touchiverse. And there were all these things talking about how wonderful Jughead was and how wonderful like Jughead and Betty were together or I think that's who he was dating. I don't care. Whatever girlfriend they paired him with. Like they were they they straight If, if he him. is canonically in the comics this one thing and then a TV presenter for the sake of, you know, producer, writer, whoever. You have to see Jughead as a human. Because aces aren't Oh, that was from an interview. Uh, yeah. Fuck. Yeah, no, I... Teen Vogue reprinted a thing that was said... I think it was actually like a tum, uh, like a Reddit AMA type thing. Okay. And they'd been talking about it and it was like, we have to see Jughead as a human element and choi- like a lot of choices and fluidity and excuses for why they weren't using Arrow Ace. And I just, like, Teen Vogue, who was at the time, like, everyone's favorite magazine and nobody was saying anything about that they were dehumanizing us and and justifying erasure and all this stuff right so i went and like ripped took a paragraph out the like the worst paragraph out of this and sentence by sentence just shredded it like this is why this is a problem this is why it's a problem and like people don't care that is really frustrating and like prominent people are like riverdale's i love riverdale it's like thank you for loving a show that thinks i'm in i'm like not human enough to put on television and I don't want to say don't like the things you like, but maybe think about tweeting about it. You know? Right. Because if it was a gay character they did it to, people would not be doing the same thing. And I no. hate to call it Oppression Olympics or whatever, but, like, the standard for what people will accept for arrow race, erasure, hate, whatever, queer people will be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. When they would not accept it if it was about an queer person. Right. And we saw some of this and are seeing some of it again with the trans community. You know, it's, it's again, not playing Olympics, but this is just a thing that happens that they're like, well, as long as they're not oppressed the largest minority group, then we'll let them get away with the smaller minority groups getting oppressed. Yeah. <sighs> and actually, there's a also a contingent of gay people who argue that since Jughead never showed interest in girls, he was gay. And taking him as Arrow Ace, despite him being Arrow Ace in the comics canonically is uh, erasing a gay character and homophobia and, like, how dare we? And then harassing people about that. That is... That's mm. common. Like, any Arrow or Ace or Arrow Ace headcanon always gets met with accusations of homophobia. Always. Because they see their headcanon as more valid, more necessary, more... And... Everything. I... See, when I see things like that, For me, it ties back to the cultural experience of having been told that you shouldn't be gay by religious communities, you know, for these other people. And, you know, that there are whole, like, camps and compounds and cults that, and I hate to call it that, but that's really what it is, where they will 
take you to this facility and try and brainwash you into not being attracted to the same gender. But then, you know, if you need to be celibate, that's okay. And so, you know, these people are feeling like, you know, if you try and make us like we're celibate, then you're perpetuating that same injustice. And that's not what it's about. And, like, people like to say ace people and arrow people aren't oppressed or aren't harmed for our sexuality. But when you look at the statistics, when bees will bother to take statistics about us, we are usually the hi- one of the highest, if not the highest, rate of assault. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've had a number of bad experiences, especially in undergrad, because... People want to fix you, and yep. they think they can. And without a certified partner, yep. they will be all over, oh, if there's no man to defend you or a, a man to claim uh, object you. to claim you, you know, if, if you're not being objectified by someone else, then let me do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so frustrating. Yeah. <sighs> so. Yeah, I'm not even sure where to go with I that. Know, I mean, I understand... I, being being a trans guy, I understand something about the way men work differently than I did before testosterone, and that that's a, a large driving factor in the way that they approach things. Mm. And I understand the culture that they grew up in is very different than the culture I grew up in. Yeah. And so if you combine those things, that's what I felt as a person raised as a female, the most threatening thing to my life and well-being for most of my existence, that drive in, in the male culture and the testosterone bringing such a sexual drive to things that they can't see clearly, and they're not taught to see clearly. Mm. And there's no... Our culture doesn't teach them self-regulation the way it should. Yeah. It does not at and all. And excuses their behavior. It mm-hmm. does, yeah. It says, oh yeah, this is fine because you're a boy. Do you, in your interactions with the Aeroace community at large, see some of the similar experiences with male Aeroace people, or... Is, it, is there a lot of variability between female-presenting experiences and male-presenting experiences? The online Aeroace community is a very much women and non-binary people. Okay. There are very few men as a percentage. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is probably culture. It's a lot less acceptable for a man to not be interested in sex all the time. Not that that's what asexuality is, right. but that's the perception. And that was that was what I was wondering. Like, if you're familiar with any men's or male-presenting people's experiences yeah. with being told that man up and get a woman and... Oh, yeah, it totally happens. And, and I think it's what the reason why there's so few of them active in the community is because it's women, like, in this giant stereotype sense are not supposed to be interested in sex in like heavy air quotes yes so it's not i I don't want to say it's considered acceptable because it 100 if you say you're asexual then that becomes a whole other list of no that's not okay that's not real you're too young to sort that out apparently i'll be too young for the rest of my life to know that that is true fuck's sake Um, You, you, I have asked people when they said I'm too young. I'm like, at what, uh, what age will I be old enough to know? If you're they asexual, you, you must no. be Peter Pan. That's it. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're just a late bloomer. 
that's all the stuff that gets turned out women, whereas men aren't even expected to go that route. So I wonder how many few, like how many of them just don't even realize that there is an identity for them to claim because they don't feel they can explore that at all because it's so unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Right. I can see that happening. Mm-hmm. I could see that as a, a big possibility. So what's good in the world? Yeah, what's we better go to that. After all the difficulties yeah. we encounter on a moment by you moment let, basis. Yeah, you let me rant, which means I'm just going to go negative and cynical because no, that's where please, I go. Well, and, and like I said, we are advocacy through storytelling. So yeah. the rants are valuable. I and really believe the that they are. It's yeah. the truth. I went and saw a panel about Cassini today. That was Ooh, fun. Ooh, yay. Yes. Yes, I'm loving the existence of, although I haven't had a chance to go and experience, the science track programming. I've seen more science track programming than I see the guests. That's fun. Like, as in, I haven't gone to a single event with a guest yet, but I've been to lots of science panels. That's very and fun. And I may have used the existence of the science panels to convince my supervisors that this was a good idea. Oh, ah, good job. Good. I think they would let me go anyways, but I was totally selling the, like, they do a NASA track, and I can see all these things and talk to these people. Oh, Perfect. that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's a very good thing. Yay! And so I, much fun. I love, like, one thing I really like about being here, people ask me what my research is, and I tell them, and instead of backing away and looking concerned, they ask follow-up questions. That's so great. Because nice. usually people who are not actually in aerospace engineering are like, that sounds scary. <laughs> but people here, even if they don't get the math, they're like, that's really cool. Yeah. It's just a different mindset of people that are here in it general than is. I get in regular population. It, it's true. It's true. And I think that's a thing that not only happens in geek-centric spaces and fandom-centric spaces, but also Galley in particular, like the entire volunteer-run aspect of it and the fact that for coming up on 30 years now, it has been one big happy family. Yeah. Gally's older than me. It is. Yeah. It's true. But, like, the culture here is why I keep coming back. Yes. I would not be crossing the continent for the guests. Like, it's great, but I don't care enough. Right. But my first galley, I came by myself. Someone I knew had a ticket. She couldn't go. So she gave me her ticket, made sure I had ribbons, and sent me to galley. <laughs> and I was like, I've never uh, been to a convention before. Oh. And I've crossed the continent to a foreign country to go to my first convention. Because <laughs> apparently I don't start small. Aww. Well, technically galley is kind of small, but, you know, the, compared the, to... The, get, the getting trip. there But it's still, small. it is big. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. No. So, I showed up on Thursday... And I grabbed my knitting and I wandered down to the lobby and probably looked terrified because there's all these people that clearly knew each other, or at least they seemed like they knew each other. And everyone's mm-hmm. talking to each other. And I'm like, I don't know anyone. So I sat down and someone came over to me and was like, I'm going to talk to you if that's okay. Aww. I was like, sure. That is a thing that happens yeah. here. And then she said, is this your first galley? I was like, yes. She's like, here's a ribbon. That's great. And then she talked to me for a while and then she had to go do something. So she's like, okay, you're Canadian and a podcaster. Here are the Canadian podcasters. Handing me off to Chris from Radio Free Scarrow. Oh, that's great. And that's kind of how my galley started, was people just adopted me into their circles. Like, people who've been friends for years who had no reason to add me in were like, well, you're by yourself, so come with us. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, like, every person I talked to here, I made friends with 
here. Yeah, we have friends here as well who, like, I mean, after we had made friends with Riley Silverman. Yes, Riley's good. Riley is an amazing human being, and I had no clue that they had a public persona, that they were a writer, and that she she does comedy, and she does all these amazing things. And I'm just like, oh, that's my tall friend with the gray hair. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I had no clue that she had all of this public presence, you know? Yeah. And and people here are just like that. It's just family. Yeah, and like, Radio Free Scarrow opens the convention every year, and Chris dealt with being saddled with a random. Just like, yeah. Hey, here's a person. That's... Yeah. Help the person. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. That is really wonderful. Mm-hmm. So how many years have you been coming now? This is my fourth. Fourth. Okay. Very cool. Yes. I'll Yay. keep coming back because of the culture. Yes. This is a wonderful place. Yes. When when I see returning attendees and greet them, you know, I, my my greeting is often "Welcome home." Yeah, and I've heard that from a lot of people. Like, this is home. It is. It really is. So, Whovian queers, we welcome you. Come join us. Yes. <laughs> I will give you a ribbon if UPS doesn't lose them next year. Oh. <laughs> I have no ribbons. Aww. Last year we forgot our ribbons at the house and had to have them overnighted to us by a family friend. UPS was supposed to, like, they were supposed to deliver to the hotel because shipping to Canada and getting import duty and whatever is expensive. And I did this last year and it worked great. But this year UPS decided that my package fell off the face of the planet. So I have no ribbons. Well, if you need another place to have them sent this coming next year. Let us know. I'm yeah. sure there are more than a few people. Oh, yeah. It was, to... it was entirely a Ribbons Galore had a sale that ended at the end of the year, and it was January 31st. So I was like, oh, no, I have to do Ribbons. So I didn't have time to coordinate with anyone. So I was just uh, like, okay. Fair. Hotel. Yes. I didn't think it would be a problem. Apparently, it shouldn't I have been. They, they should have got here. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. Hmm. You can always say now, and that was the year my Ribbons didn't show up. Yeah. See? Well, is there anything else that anyone wanted to say or share before we wrap up? Okay. All right. So is that it? That's it. We'd love to hear from you. So let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less than complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening. Try again. There it is. Ha <laughs> All right. As we all stare at the screen. <laughs> well, you usually want a few seconds of quiet, so I just I do. Try I to do. Hold still. No, you're good. <laughs> I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is. Transpant. <laughs> Sorry, dear. I was in another zone. I noticed. <laughs> Are you okay? Yes. It very much is. <laughs> As I flip off the 
emergency <clears throat> vehicles out the window. I'm used, I'm used to this. <laughs> I also flip off my children after they leave the room, I well, should know. <laughs> the birds, when they sing too loud, right when Jess is trying to get the microphone. <laughs> I flip off up. the birds outside the window, it's true. So, where was I? Oh, yes. Ha, 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 ha.